0: Hello, church. Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome you to Antioch this Sunday morning. It is a joy on a holiday weekend to be with the people of God in the presence of God, singing the praises of God. And uh, we are going to take time now to look at the word of God, the scriptures, to learn more about Jesus. So if you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, over the last several weeks, we have been studying a theme that we've seen in Luke, where Jesus speaks of the devil, speaks of the devil's works, and that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. And we've been learning about that. What does that mean? What does that mean for our lives? In the first week, we saw why we have a reasonable, rational uh, conviction to believe in the devil, the enemy of our souls. And in week two, we saw that his primary tactic is deception, that he has come to deceive people and that Jesus destroys the works of the devil by bringing truth into our lives in the place of deception. In the second uh, set part of the series or the third teaching, we were going to study how Jesus doesn't just defeat deception, but how he defeats demonic oppression or demonization, kind of a physical impact from a dark, force. And we were supposed to teach that last Sunday. And if you were with us, you know, we didn't have power last Sunday. And so we uh, went first century style, as someone called it. And we did an acoustic worship service, uh, prayer time. It was awesome if you were here. It was warm if you were here. Um, And we had some church planters with us who live around the world. And their comment was, oh, This feels like home. No power, it's hot, and people just going for it in worship. So, if you're with us, love last weekend, definitely a highlight, a memory maker. But on the topic of the teaching, I've gotten so much feedback from you saying how these teachings were really helping you uh, make sense of the last decade of your lives or, or have brought such healing in your uh, relationships or giving you clarity about a situation you were going in. I didn't want to move us forward without uh, talking about how the devil defeat or how Jesus defeats the works of the devil But I also want to keep us going through the gospel of Luke as we study. And so what we did this week was record an extended edition of the podcast where I gave the teaching from last Sunday. Uh, And then we had a little bit of extended time where I answered some questions that have been sent in and kind of did a deep dive to wrap up the series. And so if you were tracking with that series, if you were enjoying that series, if it was being helpful, it is on our podcast. It is on our website, iTunes, Spotify, all of that. You can go through and listen to all three, and I believe that the Lord will use them in your life to help you both know Jesus more, grow in your relationship with him, walk in greater freedom, and be equipped to help others. But today I want to turn our attention to a new section of the Gospel of Luke. In chapters 10 through 14, we kind of see a new vantage point or a new angle on Jesus. Remember the first Four chapters, we were introduced to Jesus. We read about his miraculous birth and his mission. And then in chapters five through nine, we're seeing over and over and over again, the miraculous power of Jesus. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's just doing miracle after miracle after miracle. As we move into chapters 10 to 14, the focus is not so much on his powerful deeds, But it's on his powerful words. It's a focus on his teachings. And these four chapters are dominated by a way that Jesus taught called parables that he taught in story form. Jesus is such a genius, right? That he he teaches in a way that people latch on to things. It's easy for us to forget dates. It's easy for us to get, kind of forget facts. It's easy for us to forget a checklist, to forget what one person said to us or another. But we remember stories. They stick with us. And you probably can recount a movie that you saw in your childhood, uh, however many years ago that was, because the story just stuck with you. And Jesus, such a wise teacher, used stories to teach a point. And the point of all of these parables that we'll be studying this summer is that Jesus had come into an upside down world, the world that you and I live in, and that he was setting the world right side up. Jesus was setting an upside down world right side up. This tension, this work of Jesus, this turning of the tables is building toward the cross and the resurrection, what some have called the great reversal, where Jesus, his, you know, his signature act of turning the world upside down. But the tension is building here and we wanna see this and we wanna understand this so we can understand who Jesus is more and we can understand his purposes in our lives in a greater way. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And uh, I don't know about you, but this is one of my favorite times of year. I love when school is coming to a close, when it's starting to get hot outside. You can smell the barbecue grills firing up. The pool is opening. The NBA playoffs are on. This is a great time of year before you get to kind of July, August, where it's so hot that you don't want to do anything. Uh, but this is just awesome. And as my kids are finishing school, if you are in school or maybe a teacher, or you're at university and your spring semester is coming to a close, it is such a fun time. As a teacher, you're counting down the days you know, before school gets out for a little break. If you are a student, you definitely have that countdown going where you're ready for summer. And so often at the end of school, uh, fun activities happen, like a uh, field day or a class you know, picnic or a field trip that doesn't normally happen during the year, that people just kind of do creative things to let off steam towards the end of the semester. When I was a senior in high school, my senior year at my school, there were some different uh, events that happened towards the end of your your, uh, year. Not just because you were finishing school for the semester, but you were finishing high school. So one of ours was we got to go on a senior trip. Our class had raised money from freshman year to senior year, and we got to go to Estes Park, Colorado, For a few days. It was awesome, right? Just so fun. Uh, Another thing that we had at our school, I don't know if you had it at yours, uh, was senior skip day, where the seniors would coordinate a day to suddenly just everyone skip school. And they couldn't get in trouble. They didn't get in trouble. The the school was just kind of cool with it. It was just a custom, right? Senior skip day. Um, Another tradition or highlight of my school as a senior were senior parties, where towards the end of your senior year, raise your hand if you went to a senior party or have had a senior party. There are only a few hands in Okay, we got more in this service, right? Uh, what, What it is, towards the end of high school, different parents or friends of parents would throw little parties for their kids graduating high school. And because most of your friends or other seniors who are graduating, like the last two months of school are pretty much dominated by a new senior party every afternoon after school. It's so much fun. Uh, One of the things that, one of the memorable things that my school did was seniors would play pranks on the school. And these weren't mean-spirited pranks, they were playful pranks. And it was kind of just part of the end of uh, school wrapping up and the seniors finishing their time there. And one of the most famous pranks was the prank where a classroom was turned upside down. So the teacher would be doing something somewhere else, the students would be out and seniors would sneak in. And they would take every chair and they would turn it upside down. They'd take every desk in the classroom and they would turn it upside down. They would take the teacher's desk and turn it upside down. And they'd take the teacher's podium or whatever they taught from and turn it upside down. So then when the next class came in, you know, it's kind of hard to have a focused class when everything is upside down, right? So everyone would walk in and be like, ah, what do, what do we do now? It's going to take a while to turn these right side up. As I got older, though, I realized that uh, the upside down, the difficulties of that wasn't just something my senior class did, but I realized so much of our world is upside down. You learn about this as you, as you grow and mature, and you might be you know, a, a younger child now, and you're seeing it as you become an adult, you see it even more that, that sometimes uh, you think that the good guys should win, the bad guys lose, but actually the bad guys win, and the good guys lose. And in other situations, people put on an image this way, where they look one way, but then behind the scenes, they're completely different person, right? And they're doing things that you're like, what? So, so that doesn't seem right. That seems upside down. Sometimes things that are right are called wrong and things that are wrong are called right. And our world many, many times feels very upside down and it can be very discouraging. In fact, one of the hardest parts about it is it seems like even though things are upside down, there's nothing really that can be done about it. It's just life continues on in this broken world. And it doesn't mean there're not beautiful things in our world or things we appreciate, but there is so much of our world that is upside down. And because of that, we can grow frustrated with life. We can go frustrated with the way things are and we can grow frustrated with God. We say, "How in the world are you letting the world be like this? It's so upside down. It's so backwards." And I want to turn your attention to Jesus, because here as we read through these parables, we get insight that rather than God being aloof and distant and uncaring and just kind of letting an upside down world continue on, that he himself has stepped into the story, that he's put skin on and he's come and he's lived amongst us. He's entered into our broken world and that he is turning our upside down world right side up again. In this parable, what we see is that Jesus is turning our view of God upside down. In several of these parables, he's giving us revelation on what God is really like, helping us see that, and it turns the tables on the way we see life. At other times, he's turning the tables on different issues in our lives that we'll get to. But let's read this one, probably one of the most famous parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan, starting in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. The scripture says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, when you see expert in the law, don't think like a a Judge Judy or a congressman or a politician. An expert in the law in their day was a religious leader. It was a certain type of religious leader, and he is standing up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And Jesus here as a genius teacher is using what teachers call the Socratic method, where he's answering a question with a question that's going to lead to a greater point in the story that he is telling and the truth he is revealing. So he says, how do you read it? And the expert in the law responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He sums up the law. And again, the law, not in the sense of what's the speed limit outside, but in the sense of the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, which, which we refer to as the law. He says, this is the summary of them. Verse 28, Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But He wanted to justify himself, expert in the law. So he asked Jesus, he said, well, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus told this parable, told this story. And he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Those were two well-known cities. Uh, They were 16 miles apart. And the man was going down, walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him Half dead. That's an important phrase that you want to hold on to. Verse thirty-one. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, the priest passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Verse thirty-three. But a Samaritan, who was a a, a different nationality, was really looked down on. But a Samaritan enters the story, and as he traveled. He came where the man was. So rather than passing by, he came to the man. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. He went to the man and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Denarii were money back in their day. And he said, look after this man. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense You may have. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Obvious answer, the expert in the law replies, the one who had mercy. And then look what Jesus says. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Powerful story, well-known story, a story that sticks with you. Whether you grew up in church or have a great knowledge of the Bible or not, you've probably heard of the story of the Good Samaritan. We were in a CPR training this week, and the the guy giving the training talked about Good Samaritan laws, right? This is a common idea in our nation. And sometimes uh, when we know things, when things are familiar, we can lose sight of what's really going on here. And so I want to help us look at this with fresh eyes. So starting in the beginning, right, the expert in the law, the religious leader, is asking Jesus a really important question, a question about God a question about the meaning of life, a question about what is life supposed to be about? How do I inherit eternal life? How do I really experience life as it's meant to be lived? This is the question that every world religion tries to answer. Everyone wants to know this. And Jesus, using the Socratic method, says, well, you know, how do you read it? How do you understand the scripture? To which the gentleman replies, love the Lord your God, and love people. Love God, love your neighbor, right? And Jesus says, okay, do those things and you will live. Now, the expert in the law, he wants to know, and we don't know, it says he's trying to test Jesus. He's wanting to justify himself. We don't know if he's sincere in this question or not, but he's asking a very relevant question. Okay, well, who is my neighbor? Is it like literally my next door neighbor? Is it my annoying younger or older sibling? Is it the Kid at school or the kid at my or the 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 person at my work that sits off by themselves and is really difficult to deal with? Is it a person halfway around the country or halfway around the world? Like, help me if this is the way to life, who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells this story. And so what's important to note is that Jerusalem to Jericho is a 16-mile walk through the wilderness. Now, I've never walked 16 miles, so I googled how long would it take you to do that, and the answers came back somewhere between 4 and 8 hours. So we're talking half a day to a full day walking, and I've got a picture of this road uh, in a deserted place out in the middle of nowhere. And if you've ever seen uh, an old western movie like the or show like The Lone Ranger, Bonanza, the riflemen, that kind of thing, you know that's on roads like these out in the middle of nowhere, it's where the bad guys always show up. It's where the robbers always jump out and they rob the gold from the gold train or they steal the person's deed for the land. It's always right here. And true to form, uh, this road was famous for being a place where people were often mugged, beaten down and stolen from. It was a haven for thieves and robbers. And so Jesus is telling a story that would have been very familiar to this person's world, the expert in the law's world, right? Gentleman's going down, and as was known, he was jumped by robbers. He was stolen from. He was beaten. He was left half dead. So we have the scene. So you imagine the expert in the law is leaning forward. It's like, okay, so how is this an answer to who is my neighbor? I'm not quite sure, but I'm interested in what's going on here. First person comes in the story, a priest. Now, in Jesus' day, priests were heroes. They were pillars of the community. They represented God to the people. The people looked at the priests and they said, well, this is surely what God is like. And here we see the priest enter in and he sees the man and he walks by on the other side. Now, why is that? Well, the expert in the law would have known that if the priest had gotten near a dead person, maybe even his shadow come upon a dead person, the priest would have become, in their traditions and their religious understanding, would have become unclean. And therefore, he would not be able to serve as a priest for a period of time. He would not be able to fulfill his community functions. He wouldn't be able to do his job. And other people were counting on him. So it only made sense to the expert and the law. Well, of course, the priest would go on the other side. He doesn't want to become Unclean. Second person enters, a Levite. Now a Levite was a second type of priest. They weren't as prestigious as just a a priest. They were kind of a second secondary group. Interestingly enough, experts in the law, most of them were actually Levites. So now Jesus is entering a character that this gentleman would be like, Oh, you're inserting me into the story. And here comes the Levite. Surely he'll be the hero, right? And it says the same thing, that he passes by on the other side of the road again, because if he got near a person that was dead or on their way to being dead, right, he becomes unclean. So everything is going like clockwork for the expert in the law. Like all of this makes sense. And again, think priests represented God to them, right? This is what God is like. God is about the rules. God is about the procedures. God is about, you know, sticking with the plan. Third person enters in the Samaritan. Now these were people that the expert in the law would have hated, would have looked down on, would have just been like, they are uh, less than type people. We have language like that in our culture. Uh, and, and so the Samaritan enters in and lo and behold, he's the one that stops. He's the one that has compassion. He's the one that helps the man. He takes them to the end. And he says, I'm, you know, I'm going to give you some money. I'm going to come back. I'll pay whatever expenses. The, the Samaritan is the hero of the story. This would have been like a plot twist, like a shock, like I did not see that coming. So Jesus asked him the question, you know, who was the neighbor? And he answers, well, was the Samaritan, because he showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go do that and you will live. Now think about that. Think about how this changes our view of who God is. Think about how this turns the tables, turns things right side up because every religion, every religion, they may approach this problem in the same way, in different ways, different language, but it's talking about the same thing. The way that you inherit eternal life is through doing good works. It's through keeping the rules. It's through sticking with the plan, right? Right? If you're from a Muslim background, it's, okay, you say this saying, the shahada, you, you pray this way, you give this way, um, you do fasting this way, so on and so forth, and then you are on the pathway to eternal life, right? Do that stuff. If you're from a Buddhist background, you don't say eternal life, you talk about enlightenment, right? So to, do, to be enlightened, you need this and this and this and this, do these things. Buddha's last words were, keep striving, Right? Keep doing the things, just stick with the rules, stick with the program. If you're from a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon uh, background, it has a little bit of the same terminology as Christianity, but when you dig underneath the surface, it's built on the exact same operating system as these other religions where it's like stick with the rules, that's what's important, do the list, and that's how you inherit eternal life. And because the people in Jesus' day would have seen, well, of course, this is how the priests are, This must be how God is. God must just be about the rules and the procedures. Do this, do this, do this, and you will live. And so Jesus now is turning this broken picture upside down again because he's saying God's actually not like that. What God values is mercy. What's really important to God is compassion. What's of high value to God is people. What God is about is love. This is what's important to God. This is the the man of God. Unsuspecting, but this this is the hero because he's showing mercy. This is what God is like. Now, think about the significance. If our view of who God is is turned around from being God's all about the rules, just do this and do this and do this and do this, and we see that God is about love and mercy and justice and people, wow. That's such a revolutionary picture of who God is. Such a revolutionary picture. Think about how this changes our world. amazing it's amazing and Jesus tells the man says I want you go and do this go and live like this go and love like this and that's where you're going to enter into the abundant life the good life the eternal life that God desires to share with you such a beautiful picture it's so moving And if you're familiar with this story, it's probably struck you before. I don't know how many times I've read this, but each time I read it and I'm like, Jesus is so awesome and I feel so overwhelmed to actually live this out. And so what was meant to be a gift of God's about mercy and love can feel like a weight of oh. Uh, well, I'm already maxed out. I don't know. How do I add something else? Do I need to like drive across town to do this or do that? I, uh, I don't know really how to help. How do I know if what I'm doing is actually helping or it's hurting or maybe, well, uh, you know, um, I, I just, I just, uh, man, it just feel guilty because I never feel like I'm doing enough. Anybody ever had those feelings when you read this story, right? All the time. We've got some preachers in the back, right? All the time. So here's what I want to encourage you with. I want to encourage you with the fact that you're wrestling with those questions. You're headed in the right direction. You're headed in the right direction. I don't have an answer for you. I'm not going to give you a checklist today of, well, now here's the things to do to turn this story into a checklist. I'm not doing that. What I do want to encourage you with is as you wrestle with those questions, to let the Holy Spirit Speak to you and teach you and let God speak through his people so that we can embody this. The Holy Spirit wants to lead you. He's not wanting to give you a heavy yoke. He's wanting to lead you into life. Life in the way of Jesus sometimes looks like death, but life is on the other side. So sometimes we're maxed out because you are spending yourself on loving people. And so you're tired. Like, man, I never used to be this tired. Oh, you used to just spend your life on yourself. Now you have all these commitments that you've made, and you're giving yourself away to all these other people, and you're using all your energy for a good cause. It's good that you feel overwhelmed and maxed out because it means you're spending yourself. That might be the case. Or it might be the case that you know your priorities have gotten out of whack and you may be valuing some certain things. That's like, actually, that's not really important. You know, you may need to have a heart check. Or it may be that you need some practical training on, well, this is how you help people. Or you may need just some freedom from feeling guilty. Whatever it may be, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into that. And I want to encourage you, if you're asking those questions, you're headed in the right direction. I know for myself, though, I love this, and I'm so prone to wonder from this. I'm so prone to be like, man, this is so awesome. God, you're so awesome. And then by lunch today, I've forgotten what we even talked about. And I'm just kind of caught up in my own world and my own way. And so I wanna share something with you from from my heart to you about our church as a whole. I want you, when you think about our church, I want you not to think about a black building or uh, the name Antioch I want you, when you think about our church, to think about the end in this story. The end where the Samaritan takes the the man. And I want you to think about our lives that we all throughout our lives are going each of our days, wherever we're assigned for our jobs and our neighborhoods and whatever. And we're gonna come across people. Maybe they're not beaten down the side of the road, but it could be a neighbor. It could be a kid in your class it could be a coworker, it could be a family member that is in a spot where they feel beaten down and broken and half dead. And maybe they really are, or maybe it's just, man, they've been going through a hard time. And I believe that the Lord wants to use us as we're out in our everyday to be the type of people like this Good Samaritan and for our church to be the type of place like this inn where we can bring people in And through the body of Christ, through the people of God, through the spiritual gifts that are given to our family, our church family, that people can be healed and restored and built up and find safe haven and be, in a sense, brought back to life. That's a beautiful picture. That's what I want you to think about when you think about our church. I want you to see that in your mind. That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're believing the Lord for. That's what the Lord has done in our midst. And that's what we want to grow into as we continue to grow and mature in the grace of God. And I want to highlight for you something that that's really helpful for me. And I think it'll be helpful for you if you're one of those people that says, this is inspiring to me, but I know I'm going to get sidetracked and I'm just going to forget about this by lunch. I want to encourage you to join one of our serve teams, And the reason is this, for our church to be this type of inn, where for our city, where thousands of people are moving to our city all the time from every place under the sun, for our church to be this type of inn where people could come in and could experience the mercy and the love and the healing power of Jesus, we need to use our spiritual gifts together as a family to create that type of inn for people. God has given you spiritual gifts. There are things that God has deposited in you, giftings that God has given to you that he wants to work through you to build this building, to build this organization into an end of healing for our city. And our serve teams are a primary way where we do that. Because when you're on the serve team, what's gonna happen is each time you show up, you're gonna be reminded of this. Be like, oh yeah, this is what's important. This is what I wanna do. Yes, I wanna be about that. You may have forgotten all week and you come on your serve team and I just need a lot of reminders. I don't know about you, but I just need a lot of heart checks on this for me to stay focused on what's really important. So when you're on a serve team, you have that reminder. But you don't just have that reminder. You have relationships that are inspiring and encouraging you, not just to live this way for an hour on Sunday, but for this to be a part of your 167, for you to live this way throughout your week. We all need those type of godly relationships to encourage us to persevere in this. And then we need equipping, right? We need training. And our serve teams will give you training on using your spiritual gifts... And you may not even know what those are. We'll help you figure those out. And we'll help you learn how to use them where you'll be equipped and use those in here, but then also be equipped to use those gifts in your neighborhood and with your family and at your school and at your workplace. The serve teams serve as a springboard to living this type of lifestyle, being these type of people, being the hands and feet of Jesus here In our city. So, I want to encourage you to join a serve team, not because our church needs you. I want to encourage you to join a serve team for your own good. Because it's as we love God and as we love people and as we enter into that, right? We experience the abundant life that God has for us. And I'm not saying that the serve team is the pinnacle, like you do that and now you're a good Samaritan and you can go about your way. What I am saying is it's a place of reminder and inspiration and equipping. And as we come together, can you imagine the power of the people of God coming together to live this way and to use our gifts? I love how there's more than one person involved in this story to use our gifts together to bring healing to broken people. So awesome. So if you're like, man, I would like to do this. Um, I, I just want you to know I'm going to consistently encourage you as your pastor to sign up for one of these serve teams because I want you to be a part of growing in that way and I want to see your giftings released to help other people and you may be like man I've been thinking about doing that okay I, you know like let's let's kind of sign on the dotted line let's do this there's a next steps card in the seat back in front of you and some of you may be slower movers that's fine I'm going to kind of keep consistently. Reminding you and hopefully positive peer pressure helps us all, right, to go in the way that we believe the Lord wants us to go. And my hope is that every person in our, in our church, that every person would be on a serve team, and that we would be serving together, and that would be serving the people of our city together in the name of Jesus. So that's my hope for you. Now, I want to, uh, as we close, I want to uh, remind you of a few things. Number one. If you want to serve, there's a next steps card in the seat back in front of you that you can just take a step today to say, hey, I know I need to be reminded. I want to put action to this. And you can drop it off at the welcome home desk on the way out. If you're like, ah, I need some more time, that's fine. That's fine. This is not a a guilt deal or a pressure deal or whatever. I'm trying to encourage you. Uh, And I want to remind you of one thing. If we just left right now, uh, we would leave inspired. We would leave encouraged. Be like, yeah, I like Jesus man, he gives us this vision of God and this vision of life and he's turning the world upside down, but we probably wouldn't do anything with it or we'd run out of gas really soon if we go in our own strength. But there's an angle of this story that I wanna make sure that you see today uh, and that's on who this good Samaritan really is. Jesus describes him and he uses a particular phrase. He said, the good Samaritan had pity on the man or had compassion on the man. That, that word that's used there that Luke uses, that Jesus uses, Luke quotes Jesus, uh, is used two other times in the Gospel of Luke. And you know who they both refer to? Jesus himself. That word is the descriptor of Jesus himself, that he is a man of mercy and compassion. And just like the Samaritan, the hero, comes from the most unlikely place, when we look at our upside-down world, the last place that we really think help would come from would be from God himself coming and stepping into our world. And just like the good Samaritan, no one was thinking that. We weren't thinking that. We've been trying to save ourselves, right? But Jesus steps into our world just like the good Samaritan steps into this story. And Jesus sees us and he has compassion on you. I want you to know that Jesus has compassion on you today. That Jesus has mercy for you today. You may come to church and you may feel like, man, I feel like I am broken down, stolen from, beaten and on the side of the road. And I want you to know your Savior sees you and he's moved with compassion. He's moved with mercy for you. And just like this good Samaritan risked his life and gave a little bit of himself, Jesus went one step further and gave his life for you and for me. Rather than giving a few coins, he gave the treasure of heaven himself for our our sakes, for our salvation, for our redemption. so amazing. This, Jesus, is the real good Samaritan. And I want to make sure you see this because it's very easy to turn this story into another checklist of this is what I need to do to be right with God. But that's not how Christianity is. The start of the story is Jesus comes to you and me in mercy, in grace, and in love. And as we receive his mercy, as we receive his generosity, as we receive him pouring out his oil and his wine, and we receive his healing in our lives, then we become transformed people. And we are sent out into our world, not in our own strength, or not because we're particularly good people, but because loved people Love people, right? Served people, serve people, right? People that have been given to, give, right? And so you receive His love and His mercy and His healing. And you let that be the fuel for living this way. So, do that. I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to celebrate communion together here as we close. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we take of the bread and remember Jesus' body broken for us. We take of the cup and we remember his blood poured out for us. And when we take of we remember that he is the good Samaritan who has come to us in our need. And we recommit ourselves again to be his people and to follow him. And so I just think it's so fitting at the end of the story for us to do that. The officiants are gonna come forward. As the worship team leads us, you can, uh, when you're ready, exit out your row, come forward, take of the bread, take of the cup, return to your seat. And then when you're ready, prayerfully take this. If you're here as a family and your kids uh, wanna take communion, I mean, we've had so many powerful times with our kids taking communion. If you're a parent, you're like, I, I don't know that we're ready for that. That's fine too. There's not pressure here. There's just invitation invitation to come to the table of the Lord today invitation to come to the table of grace and love and mercy and to find transformation healing and be sent out on mission into our world so I'm going to pray for us and then we'll respond Jesus it's so amazing that you're like this it's unbelievable Lord it it turns our upside down world right side up again it releases joy uh, into a broken situation God It releases new life, Lord. So we just celebrate you today. We celebrate you as the true and better good Samaritan, Lord, and we receive your love and your healing and your provision today. Lord, I ask that you would work through us as a church, Lord, that we would bring our gifts and we'd bring our talents and we'd bring our abilities together, Lord, to be this end for our city and that we would live this way in our everyday, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.